Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. I also, like Dale, want to welcome those of you joining us online, as well as those of you who are braving the winds just out on the patio. So we're glad that all of you have joined us today. When our two kids were born, um, they weren't just measured and weighed. They were compared to all of the other babies, and then they were ranked in this percentile thing. And I think they still do this. And uh, the purpose, of course, was to track their health. But to be honest, I found myself getting a little bit too competitive with their percentiles. Kind of from the beginning, I wanted R2 to be exceptional. And so this was kind of my first opportunity to, to rank them and see where they were in terms of percentiles of height and weight. And of course, it didn't end just with the height and the weight percentiles. It definitely continued in school. I didn't want just ordinary kids with C's. I wanted extraordinary kids with all A's. Now, why do we all want to be extraordinary, both personally and then especially for our kids? Well, we know that extraordinary comes with tremendous advantages in life. But the question that we're asking in this message series, Extraordinary, is what are the extras that when added to the ordinary parts of our lives that truly make us extraordinary? And it turns out, as we talked about last week, that our list of extras and God's list of extras are very different. Last week, we compared our top three list of extras to God's top three. God's top three are righteousness, holiness, and redemption. We talked about what that means last week. And they are in direct contrast to our top three extras, which are intelligence, influence, and opportunity. Now, God's top three extras are not earned. They are given to us when we decide to follow Jesus Christ and accept his gift. And that gift is not something just to be stored or even displayed. The gifts that God gives us through Jesus Christ are to be used. It's kind of like the first bike that your parents gave you. They gave you that bike, not so that you could store it in your garage, not so that your friends could come over and ooh and ah at your bike, but so that you could actually learn how to ride it and use that bike. And it's the same with God's gifts. Now, we learn how to use God's gifts, not because God provides us with training wheels, so to speak, on how to use his gifts, the way we really learn how to use God's gifts and grow is through something that I refer to as training miles. Not training wheels, but training miles. Now, the training mile that God uses most to get us growing in life is what we're going to look at this morning, and that is the extra mile. What is an extra mile? Well, it's that extra effort that you put in from wherever you are that ends up making a lot of difference in life. Years ago, we drove up to British Columbia, Canada to visit my family, and then also we spent some time kind of driving a little further north to see some of the sites in British Columbia. And this is the picture that I took uh, from one of the places that we got to see. This is a view of a glacier valley, and I still vividly remember what it was like when we got to this view area. This picture really doesn't even begin to capture the majesty of what it was like to see that on that day. Now, let me show you a second picture. This next picture is of the trail leading to where that previous amazing picture was taken. It's not nearly as beautiful. It's nice, but it's not nearly as beautiful. And it represents a whole lot more work than just standing there and looking at the view on the previous picture. This picture was the last mile to the amazing view. Now, I estimated this week about how far it was for us to drive from here in Huntington Beach all the way up to this spot. So we had traveled about 1,630 miles to get to this location where this trailhead was. And this was the last mile. 
Can you imagine how sad it would have been to not go that extra mile and miss out on this view? That would have been a tremendous waste of that long trip. But this is often what we tend to do in life. We, we put in all kinds of effort to get to a certain place and then just don't go the extra mile. We squander the opportunity. Maybe we get a job, we, we apply for a job, we get a job, and, and then we put in effort to actually show up at that job. But then once we're there, we just don't really focus. We don't put in diligent effort repeatedly, and we squander a tremendous opportunity that could really have helped advance us if we'd just gone the extra mile. Once we're already there, we might as well work hard, but we squander the extra mile. Or sometimes we do this in marriage. You know, it takes a tremendous amount of effort and thought and usually expense for two people to spend enough time dating and actually decide to get married. But then sometimes when they get married, they just kind of start coasting. They don't put in the kind of effort that it took to get them to the marriage spot, and they squander a tremendous blessing and opportunity if they would just go the extra mile. We just tend to do this in life. Now, whenever someone goes the extra mile, what we mean by that phrase is that they're willing to put in the extra effort. It is an extra mile because they've already traveled some distance to get to wherever they are. If they would just go one more mile, they would arrive at a destination that's far worth just that extra mile worth of effort. Now, we tend to think that wherever we are in life is kind of unimportant. We just happen to be where we are. It doesn't really matter. We're just somewhere. But it turns out that where we are is important. Turns out, often, we are exactly where God wants us to be. He has positioned us just one mile's worth of effort away from some tremendous opportunities to grow. So this morning, I want to look at three of these extra miles that God gives us. They're found in one chapter in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 1. It describes these three extra miles. We're going to look at these this morning. The first extra mile is this. When you're in pain, go ahead and go the extra mile and look around for opportunities to minister to other people. So when you're in pain, look around. Whenever we're in pain, our tendency is to not look out and around for ways that we can be of help to other people. The pain is so consuming that we tend to kind of look inside and we focus on our hurt and we tend to get stuck there. And we don't go the extra mile, and sometimes then the pain, all of the pain, is not really brought about in any benefit for us. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Now, we all travel many different paths to get wherever we are. And trouble has marked every single path. There is no one of us that gets a pass on trouble. Some get more, some get less, but we all get trouble. We all experience pain in this world. And God wants us to make the most out of that pain, out of that trouble. He doesn't want to see it go to waste. Now, the process of making the most of the trouble or the pain that we experience begins when God comforts us, as it says here, in all of our troubles. How does God comfort us in our troubles? 
Well, the word comfort that's used here means to strengthen us by close proximity. To really comfort someone, you need to be close. So how does God move in close? Most often, what he does is he sends people to comfort us. God doesn't have physical arms to hug us with. He doesn't usually speak audibly from heaven. So what he does is he moves people who are already in position, he moves them in closer to say a kind word to us that helps, to maybe bring a meal, maybe just to sit with us, to listen to us, maybe to hug us, to pray with us. Who are these people that are in the wings, that are in position, ready to bring the comfort of God to us when we're in pain? Oftentimes, they are those who have walked through the same kind of trouble and pain that we're now facing. And they have gained, by experience, the comfort of God through that trouble. And in the process, they have become highly qualified to bring God's comfort to those who are in pain because they've been there. As it says, they can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort they have received from God. They know best what to say and what not to say. They know best what to do and what not to do. Three years ago, a little over three years ago now, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Ended up having surgery for that. And I had, of course, known other guys that had gone through this, but I didn't really, of course, know what it was like. Guys don't really talk about these things, especially that, very often. And so I had assumed that it was probably uh, a little painful and a little scary and had a little impact on their life. But I had no idea because I'd never experienced it. Having gone through that, last month I was talking with someone who was facing this same surgery that I'd gone through. And later on that week, I was praying for this individual. And while I was praying, I just started crying. And I, I mean, I almost never cry when I pray. But just thinking about what this guy was getting ready to go through just broke my heart. And so out of that time of prayer, God prompted me. It wasn't audible, but the thought was, you need to call him. It was about, I think, three or four days before his surgery. And of course, my first thought was, oh, that's always awkward, you know, especially between guys, especially this. I don't know what to say, but God was pretty clear that I need to call, and so I did pick up the phone. And you know what? It wasn't awkward at all. And much to my surprise, I really did know what to say. And also importantly, I knew what not to say. Why? Because I'd been there. This reaching out to offer God's comfort to someone is the extra mile in the journey of pain. And that extra mile is the point of the journey. It's the so that. These two words you can easily miss over, but I think these are my favorite words in this whole section. What it's saying is that the pain that you've experienced has a purpose. There's a so that. There's a because. There's a reason for it. We encounter trouble and pain, the pain that comes with it, 
not just so that God might comfort us. He does do that, and I'm grateful for that. But that's not where the so that goes in this verse. The so that goes so that we might comfort those who are facing the same kind of pain that we have. Life is full of trouble. There's just no avoiding it. But there is a purpose for the pain. It's to put you in position to help others who are on that path of pain. So you've already done the hard part. You've already gone through the pain. You've already slogged through the trouble. You've already traveled the 1,630 miles of misery to get to the position that you're in that now you're really able to help. But now you have to go the extra mile. You have to look around and listen and ask God for opportunities. What a waste of the pain it would be to stop with just your comfort and make the journey all about you. That extra mile of effort that it takes to help others is well worth that extra effort. God wants to turn my pain and your pain into ministry for others. So what kind of pain have you experienced? Just, just think about it. I mean, have you ever gone through a painful breakup? Has someone close to you died? Did your family fall apart in divorce? Do you know the pain of abortion? Have you ever lost a job or been in financial straits? Guess what? You're in perfect position. You're in the wings. God has got you in position. All around you are people who need the comfort that you've experienced through God. And when you help, when you go that extra mile, I just have to tell you, the view from that mountaintop doesn't make the pain go away, but it really redeems the pain. Now, one note on this before we go on to the second extra mile is this is the last mile on the journey of pain. That's why it's called the extra mile. So what I mean by that is just because you're in pain doesn't mean that instantly you're ready or qualified to help others with your pain. Go ahead and take the time that's necessary to allow God to comfort you and instruct you on how to handle this pain so that you can help others. But don't get stuck there. Look around for ways God will bring people in your path that have been on the path of pain that you've been on so that you can help. So look around. Extra mile number two. When you're under pressure, look up. Go the extra mile and look up. What we tend to do when we're under a lot of pressure is we just get our heads down and we just plow forward and we miss out on the tremendous growth opportunities in our relationship with God. Just a few verses later in the same chapter, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this, says this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Now, you think you have a pressured life. Now, listen to this. Far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. That's a lot of pressure. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. We were, we were pretty sure it was, almost, it was over. But this happened, and here it is again, so that. This didn't just happen. There's a reason for it. There's a because. There's a so that. What's the so that? 
so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So Paul says we were under great pressure. It was far beyond anything that we had the ability to manage. In fact, he said it was so bad, we felt a sentence of death. Why? Why did this situation, did it just happen? No, just like the pain, there's a reason for it. There is a so that. It happened so that we might rely on God who raises the dead. Well, why don't we just rely on God now? Well, it's because we don't. We just don't. As long as we can put our faith in something or someone other than God, we usually will. So God brings pressure to push us beyond our ability. The Apostle Paul was in a situation where death seemed certain. At that point, there really is only one logical person to trust. The one who can raise the dead, the one who can give life after death. Paul said that was the purpose behind this. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. What he's saying is, I needed to grow in my dependence on God. So God put us in this pressureful situation. So God brings us beyond our comfort zone. It's often not until we are in a situation where God is the only possible solution that we will actually look up and ask and seek and get help. Then he shows us the next step to take, and then our trust, our confidence in him grows. You know, as a parent, I have often found myself in situations far beyond my ability. I mean, I remember when our kids were at home over and over again. My wife and I look at each other and we're like, any ideas? I, I hadn't anticipated this. What do we do now? And we, we didn't know. I've experienced the same thing, you know, as a pastor of this church. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we face problems far beyond our ability. And now I look back at those situations in awe at how God has helped us and helped me one step at a time. God wants to demonstrate that he can be relied on. So he takes us into areas where we have to decide to rely on him or not. We are perfectly suited to depend on God because there are all kinds of situations that are far beyond our ability. But just because we're in that tough spot, just because the pressure is ramped up, it doesn't mean automatically that we're going to humble ourselves and look up and cry out to God for help and see him come through. It doesn't mean we're going to do that. Often in pride, we'll just put our head down and keep powering forward. But if we don't look up, we miss the chance to grow our faith. So if you're under a lot of pressure right now, don't waste it. Go the extra mile, humble yourself, cry out for help, and ask God to show you just the next step and then take it. Look up. Extra mile number three. When your plans fail, say amen. Paul, it turns out, in his first letter to this church in Corinth, which is called 1 Corinthians in the New Testament now, Paul announced that he would planned to visit them in person, not just send another letter. Well, then another letter arrived, what we now call 2 Corinthians, and he begins by explaining why He's not able to carry out the visit that he planned to 
carry out. And this is what he says. Now, I'm going to warn you, this is a little complicated, and we're going to take time to walk through this. So if you've been daydreaming, this would be a great time to kind of re-engage because you're going to get lost if you're planning lunch right now. 2 Corinthians 1, 17 through 20. Paul says, when I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say, yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Got it? Perfectly clear, right? I know it's really, you get lost and wait, yeses and nos and what, what does that mean? And so we're going to take our time to walk through this. This is really an amazing passage. First of all, Paul's announcing he can't make the trip that he planned. And he addresses probably the first question that they would have was, did you ever really plan on coming anyways? You know, did, so Paul says, did I make this plan lightly? What he's saying is, no, I, I didn't just flippantly say, hey, I'll see you sometime soon. No, I, I was really planning. I made a real plan to come visit you. So I, I really did think this through. I did make a plan. So why didn't he come then? Why, did, why didn't he execute the plan? Well, we're not told exactly why, but Paul's implication here is God said no. Now, we don't know how. We don't know whether the circumstances arose that blocked him from going, and Paul accurately recognized that that was God behind those circumstances that were preventing him from going, or whether God actually revealed to him that he shouldn't go now. We don't know why there was a no. But Paul uses this opportunity to talk about how we tend to plan. And he says, you have to understand, I didn't plan in a worldly manner. What does that mean? Well, there's two basic ways that planning occurs, either a worldly manner or a godly manner. Worldly means without God. Godly means with God. And planning is really a series of yeses and nos. That's what a plan is. A plan is basically... Yes, we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, and yes, 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 we're going to do this, and no, we're not going to do that, no, we're not going to do that. That's what a plan is, just a bunch of yeses and nos. The bigger the plan, more yeses and nos. So worldly planning, without God planning, is characterized, Paul says, by yes, yes, these are in quotes, and no, no. Now, what does that mean? Well, the first yes... Well, the first no is the plan. It's the, yes, I'm coming to visit you. And no, I'm not going to go do this. That's the plan. The second yes or no is what we think is actually going to happen, what we demand to happen. So worldly planning occurs in such a way where we make our plans, we say yes, and we actually think we have the power to make yes happen. And we say, no, we're not going to do that. Or, no, we're not going to ha have that problem. And we actually arrogantly think we can make no happen. That's what worldly planning is. Yes, yes. I plan yes, and I make yes happen. And I plan no, and I make no happen. There's a problem with that planning, and that is it doesn't factor God into it. This is why we are so devastated 
and usually so angry when our plans don't work out. Usually we can point to something or someone that messed our plans up. But the real reason our plans don't work sometimes is because God has said no to our yes and yes to our no. The reason is our plans didn't fit in with his plan. He's not just trying to mess with us, but turns out God's a planner. And God's the only one who actually can do yes, yes, and no, no. When God plans yes, guess what happens? Yes. And when God says no, guess what happens? No. With us, sometimes, sometimes not. So a worldly planner thinks that the only one doing the planning is the people in this world. But God's a planner, and his plans override ours. So the logical thought, once you understand this, is to say, well, then, should we not plan? What's the point? If God's going to override our plans and do whatever he wants to do anyways, then should we not plan? No. Paul says, that's not our message to you. He said, our message to you is not yes and no. What does that mean? Well, let me give you the modern translation of what that is. Paul is saying, our message to you is not whatever. That's what he's saying. It's not just yes or no, it doesn't really matter whether you plan yes or no, because what God wants done is going to be done anyways. No, no, God has given you the ability to plan. You need to go ahead and plan. Our message to you is not whatever. It's not yes and no. What is the message? Now, here it takes an interesting turn. Paul says, the message that me and Silas and Timothy have been preaching to you is that in Jesus Christ, the message is always yes. What does that mean? Well, he, he's pointing them to the story of Jesus Christ that they've been told. So think of the story of Jesus. I mean, if you were a disciple of Jesus, there were some pretty amazing yes moments when it looks like everything was going according to plan. You know, Jesus fed the 5,000. Yes. The blind man could see. Lazarus walked out of that tomb. You can just hear the disciples going, yes, this is working exactly according to plan. The crowds are growing. And then, of course, what happened? Jesus was arrested. He was set on trial, and he was crucified. And during those three days, the disciples must have in their hearts said again and again, no, no, this is not what we thought was going to happen. But for all of the plans that seemed to work and all of those that didn't seem to work out, what was really going on with the story of Jesus was God was fulfilling every single promise that he had made about providing a way to reconcile us with him, of forgiving our sins. So what was really going on in all the twists and the turns of Jesus' story that looked like some amazing yeses and some horrendous noes what was really going on, in fact, was nothing but one big yes. Every step of the way, God had planned what occurred. As I said, he's the only one that can plan yes and do yes, and plan no and do no. So what Paul is saying is, you know, plan away, but just realize that whatever happens is because God has said yes or God has said no. And the story of Jesus is one great example of just because it looks like no doesn't mean it's no. 
everything that happens is because God has said yes. So the next question then that comes in our hearts is, so are we just pawns in God's big chess game? No. Our role in the flow of all of the yeses and all the noes to our plan is to, as Paul says, to speak amen to God's plan. What does that mean? The word amen means to support. So when we say amen in our hearts, and when we do amen with our actions, what we're saying is, all right, God, my plans aren't working out the way I thought, but I'm going to pivot to get on board with your plans. I'm going to say yes, amen, to whatever you're doing. God owns this day, not me, not you. The fact that my plans just cratered is a reminder of the fact that God owns the day. And it's an invitation for me to pivot and adjust to whatever God is doing. On the leading edge of time, God is making firm the plans he has for us. And our role is to support those plans with a hearty amen. Now, I'll be honest, whenever my plans fall apart, the first word that comes to my mind is almost never, amen. <laughs> first word that comes to my mind is almost always, no. This past week, my wife and I got the test results on her lung condition. And she's really been improving. We actually switched doctors this last year. We're now with one of the leading pulmonologists in the nation up at Cedar sinai that really specializes in the particular infection that she has that's so tenacious. And he was very confident in the new plan that we're on. And so we had this appointment this week where we got test results, and I, I was pretty confident that the bacteria is going to be gone. But it's still there. And I, in my heart, when the doctor started saying this, all I, what rose deep in my heart was this giant, no, not amen, but no. It wasn't until later in the week where I could, I could finally say amen. And I'll be honest, even then, I couldn't say it with a lot of gusto or conviction. Now, I don't think it's required that you verbally say amen, but for me, I found it to be really helpful to actually verbally say, well, God, it's not what I hoped for. I don't understand what's going on, but amen. It takes time to get your heart in that direction. What happens when we say amen, when our plans are cratering? It's a statement of faith in the God whose plans are higher and better than our plans. So what Paul says here is when we say amen, we actually bring glory to God. That's what we have the power to do. We have very limited power to make our plans happen. But we have complete power to bring glory to God. And it turns out, in all of eternity, that's the bigger deal. The word glory means to turn heads. So, you know, a sunset is glorious. If you saw the moon last night, that was glorious. What happened when you saw the moon rising? 
My wife saw it and said, have you seen this? We got to go outside and look at it. Heads were turning because it was glorious. This is what happens when we say amen over our decimated plans. We turn heads to God. Because an amen response, whether it's verbal or in our hearts, it points to the fact that we're living for something bigger than us. What you have to realize, whenever your plans fall apart, people around you are watching. They know the normal response is no, because that's what's natural in all our hearts. But if your response is, amen, I'm sad, I'm hurt, I wish it hadn't happened, but amen. That tilts the head of people observing. And it points the observer to God. It brings him glory. So whenever God says no to our yes, yeses, and yes to our no's, we face a very important decision. We can say amen to God, or like so many people do, we can just get mad at God and dishonor him. Now, whenever God is cooperating with our plans, we don't have the chance to bring him glory. It's when our plan disagrees with his that we get the chance to have our amen really actually mean something and really turn heads. So if your plans have fallen apart, realize this. You are just one mile away from bringing him glory and turning heads to God. Don't waste all of that planning and all that work just because your plans didn't work out. You're right there. Just go the extra mile and say amen. Now, I'll admit, it's a tough mile. But I'll tell you, it is so worth it. Being angry at God, that's a disaster. So let me summarize. When you're in pain, go the extra mile and look around. See how God can use that pain to comfort others. God wants to turn your pain into help and comfort, and comfort for others. When you're under pressure, look up. Go the extra mile and look up. Cry out to God for help. God wants to deepen your confidence in him. So look up. And when your plans fail, go the extra mile and say amen. God wants to use your disappointment to turn heads to him. So you're already where you need to be. You're already in pain. You're already under pressure. Your plans are already busted. You've traveled a long way to get to this messed up place. Just go the extra mile and redeem the opportunity. I'll tell you, the view is well worth it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those two powerful words so that we really need to know the why behind what happens, especially the hard things in our life. And so many people just don't know. We don't know without the truth from your word. So we thank you that behind the pain, behind the pressure, behind the busted plans, you have a purpose that's much bigger than those three. I pray you'd help us to to go the extra mile and see 
you do something truly extraordinary as a result. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.